is correct. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Moments of Truth, the show about my favorite moments from my favorite things. I'm Bill Coffin, and today we'll be discussing a slightly different topic than usual. Typically, we discuss a particular movie, show, book, or game that we all love. Sometimes we take a higher altitude view and talk about an entire genre of something. But today, we're going to talk about a shared experience that cuts across pretty much every other topic we have discussed or will discuss on this show. It's a topic that played a big part in our formative years and one that continues to generate no small amount of nostalgia, hand-wringing, and introspection. Today, we're talking about free-range childhood, or what members of Generation X would call being a latchkey kid. Now, like about 40% of my fellow Gen Xers, when I was growing up, both of my parents worked full-time, and there was not a grandparent or other relative living with us. So when I came home from school each day, I had to let myself into the house, take care of whatever chores my parents set out for me to do, get myself something to eat, do my homework, maybe watch some TV, go play with my friends, all without adult supervision. And at the time, I didn't think much of it. I mean, most of my friends were in you know the exact same situation, and for the most part, it was pretty awesome. We went on adventures, we went exploring, we rode our bikes everywhere, we ventured far from home, sometimes we got in trouble, sometimes we saw weird stuff, but it was always awesome. It was also a kind of childhood that isn't nearly as common in the United States anymore for a number of reasons. But this kind of free-range childhood was such a big part of the 1980s zeitgeist that it got constantly referenced by popular culture at the time. And since then, anytime somebody wants to look back fondly at the 80s, uh, you know, they usually include that kids-on-bikes lifestyle. If you need evidence, look no further than the heroes of Stranger Things, who got around on their dirt bikes and had a secret hideout in a derelict school bus at the local junkyard. It doesn't get much more free-range than that. Now, did bad stuff happen to us free-range kids while we didn't have the protective air cover from our parents? Well, sure. You know, for a lot of us, surviving it is part of what we loved about this kind of childhood. And while we don't mean to entirely elevate how we grew up above all others, there's no denying that being a latchkey kid generated some uniquely terrific stories and memories. And that's what we're going to get into in this episode. So, with me today is that kid who found a stack of magazines in the woods, Chris Crenshaw. Howdy, folks. That kid who found a squatter living in his treehouse, Tom Hespos. Yeah, I rode out there on my mongoose, and what did I find? <sighs> <laughs> and that kid who discovered a pirate treasure with all of his friends, Joe Pace. You guys want to see a dead body? <laughs> Everyone, welcome. This is going to be a really freeform conversation. This topic came out of like a meta discussion amongst many different recording episodes where we kept kind of talking about this notion of how we grew up and being latchkey kids and the whole notion of free-range childhood. And we finally decided we had to just sit down and have a conversation just about this alone. And I know we've all got just a ton of different stories that kind of touch upon keystone aspects of what it was like to be a kid in this way at this time. So, Tom, why don't you kick us off and sort of talk to us a little bit about what did it mean for you and what's, what's the story that, like, one of the first stories you kind of come to when you think about what it was like to have this kind of childhood and why did it, why did it rock so much? No, no supervision. That's what it all comes down to for me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No and, 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 you know, th that was a wonderful thing back in the day, like, uh, you know, not having to constantly check in or even have your parents know where you were other than just sort of this vague idea. So many yeah. great and, and magical things happen. And, you know, you, you, uh, you introduced me by uh, talking about a, a tree fort, you know, why don't we start there? 
Hawks. They were such like a big part yeah. of my free range childhood. <laughs> right. But like it, it had to happen in a special way because, you know, the neighborhood I grew up, you know, I grew up in Long Island. You say Long Island to most people, you know, who don't really know Long Island and they, you know, picture strip malls and, you know, some uh, what they actually picture sometimes is Queens. But <laughs> what, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I'm from the <laughs> yeah. part of Long Island where there are legit rednecks and my growing up happened in you know a, a rural area i mean um we didn't get house numbers until i was well into high school uh we had rural route number one was how you address mail to me back in the day i grew up in this you know sort of like area where they had to carve a lot of this stuff out of the woods out of the potato farm and it was very very rural and and there, there wasn't a whole lot there so um you know we ended up having to go on these sorts of adventures and, and entertain ourselves uh, you know, for me, you know, building a tree fort was kind of difficult because we were on the part of the development that was the potato farm. So we didn't have a lot of trees on our property <laughs> when we first started out. Uh, it was pretty flat. Tom, and, you know, Tom's tree fort was just the potato shack. It was just like a like, little hut. My ground. dad built this, you know, thing. I, I, you can't even describe it as a tree fort. It was like this, like weird like homer simpson-esque jungle gym thing he built in the back and like i kind of ignored that thing in favor of sneaking into houses with my friends that were still being built in the development stealing yes. all the wood and then taking it off oh. into the woods to go build like a, a bona fide tree fort which you know i understand yes. like a lot of kids did back yes. in the day but like those yes. things became not like the jungle gyms in your backyard, but they became like legit secret hideouts where all sorts of you know <laughs> yeah. great things could happen. Yeah. Because adults half the time didn't know that they existed. Um, no, I, I love that aspect of it. I, I actually uh, want to share a story about you know that, that wasn't me, but you know one of my very good friends growing up, Jimmy Caskey, he was the youngest of three brothers. They built a you know tree fort in the uh, woods behind their house. You know, being three boys, and that's what you do. You know, you build a tree fort. So, uh, you know, they hauled a bunch of lumber up into this tree, built this thing, and they had you know a removable sort of ladder that like went up to it. Well, one day, middle brother Walter, it's in the middle of winter. He decides to go up in the tree fort and ambush his older brother Robbie when Robbie comes home from school. And so he takes a bunch of snow up into the tree fort, makes a bunch of snowballs and waits for Robbie to come home. Well, Robbie comes swinging around the back, you know, to come in the back door, Walter pelts him with snowballs, just mercilessly, just completely <laughs> takes him out. So Robbie being the loving older brother he was, decides to go and pull the ladder away from the tree fort. So now Walter's stuck up in the tree fort, he can't get down and he's freezing. To exacerbate the situation, Robbie decides he's going to go to the shed, get a hose, hook it up to the uh, spigot, <laughs> and hose down the tree fort while Walter's inside. <laughs> you want to talk about latchkey kid? The parents didn't get home for another couple of hours from work. Oh. Oh, <laughs> and when man. they got home, they had a very legit hypothermia run to the hospital kind of situation on their hands. Oh my god. And that that, that is awesome. my story of how Robbie almost killed his little brother Walter. Uh, Walter's now a teacher in my old school district, but uh yeah. the magic of tree forts, man, and, and lack of supervision. <laughs> where I grew up, I grew up in the Lehigh Valley, Pennsylvania, in the town of Easton, which is like run on the New Jersey Pennsylvania border and then heading west all the way to Allentown. So Allentown, Bethlehem, Easton, that that area. It was like a east-west strip of like urban 
development very quickly surrounded by suburban and very quickly it very quickly got rural right so there's a lot of rural suburban kind of interface going on in a lot of areas where it's like the things I remember as a kid are now developed and now are not what I what they what I remember them as oh, and yeah. there's oh, a lot of that stuff Lord. being developed like in real time and and I wonder if that 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 gave these unique opportunities to go and go find trouble, go mess around with half-built houses and that sort of stuff. And I always kind of wonder to what degree the development of areas kind of feed into that whole free-range kid, you know, kind of Oh, God, that shaped so much of my experiences growing up in that neighborhood. There was always a house being built and always, like, vacant lots that you could go play in. So, like, you know, they they would do the... um, unscrupulous builder thing and like scrape all the topsoil off the lots and then sell it back to you. So we would have these gigantic, you know, dirt mounds that would be sitting on vacant lots, which became our, you know, places to play King of the Mountain and, you know, to carve BMX trails and stuff like that and have legit jumps, you know, things like that. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. That, that was, that was a lot of fun. That definitely shaped a lot of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Yeah. My neighborhood growing up was, uh, probably a little similar to yours although it was more it was more purely rural uh my mailing address was ashland which is a town 15 miles north of richmond but we were you know in in between the two and the the neighborhood uh had been built largely in the 60s although it was being expanded while i lived there it was about a half mile off the the nearest main road and surrounded by woods just having that uh that sort of magical buffer around you there was an area where clearly it was it was uh just tailings from building houses you know digging foundations and stuff bmx heaven (laughs) and and, (laughs) you know you know uh, creeks and the beaver dam and although i never saw the beavers not once having all that around is just it unlocks so much yeah. Did you guys build trails for the BMX bikes like through the woods? We did a ton of that. Did you guys do that? We didn't build trails. We just sort of it expanded um, them. We, we sort of like found <laughs> trails through the woods and sort of thing. Um, there weren't any trails where I came from. You just went through the woods. What now? I'll now, pull both ways. Trails. Yeah. Chumps. Trails well, are for now, chumps. Now, Joe, you 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 grew up in a fairly rural area too. Oh yeah. Right? This is New Hampshire. This is where Virginia goes to vacation. <laughs> My free range situation was I grew up in a neighborhood called Old Orchard, right? It was it was a specific development. When you're a young kid, you only got around on foot or on your, you know, really your three speed bike. It basically right. felt like the size of you. Wait, wait, your bikes had speeds. Yeah, had speeds. What is this? <laughs> oh yeah, no, we're we're, after, we're pretty after, fancy, man. After we, after my like husky 12. had my husky had go or stop was pretty much well my, my first had. bike had go or stop and then that literally fell apart while I was riding it down a hill one time. It came apart and but in two hands I was trying to hold it together like Wiley. Carey. By the way. Handbrakes, handbrakes were like not a oh, thing. Oh man, ever. like back pedal, pe- pe- back pedal, pedal brakes, stop, right? pedal yeah. brakes for the hockey yeah. stop. Yeah, no, the development it felt as big as Asia, right? Even though it really was not, but it had these like kind of easily agreed upon boundaries to it. Like yeah, like on the southern end, it, it was was you know, it was the local river, right? You couldn't go past that. On one side, it just, it just ended into basically cornfields. So you, there's really no point to go any further. On the north side, there's a fairly busy commercial road that kids of a certain age just didn't feel like crossing because mm-hmm. it felt dangerous. Don't cross Don't the cross road. That big road. Yep. And then you know we got the other side of it. It's kind of the neighborhood just kind of kept going on into just sort of more woods and more of the river. Right. It was like a I don't know probably two square miles. I guess it was. Thing was basically as long as you were inside the orchard, nobody cared where you went. Right. That was more than enough area to go around and, and find trouble in. You know. And but we didn't have like an actual rural scene to go. 
biking through. And I got the feeling that maybe you did. Well, we had, we had my house where, where I grew up, there was a, a, you know, probably 15 acres of woods next to my house. And then there was our street and our street went up and abutted to a fairly busy state highway. It wasn't a, any kind of crazy highway, but it was, you know, it was busy and um, you weren't allowed to cross that. And then there was a bay that went up to the Atlantic over here. And then there was another school district. So it was like, we were in this corner so where we could go play in the woods or we could bike like six miles to get to the closest buddy I had, yeah. uh, which just wasn't worth it. Cause he was okay, but he wasn't that cool. And, um, <laughs> nor is he a listener. So we spent a lot of time in the woods <laughs> Go ahead. with the, if with only he had a Nintendo. <laughs> yeah, no, this was, this was, this was easily, we, this was after we had exhausted what Atari had to yeah. offer. So we spent a lot of time in the woods and a lot of time just like literally there were these old farm dumps behind us, chicken farm dumps where you could dig up bottles and old cars and stuff. And we used to dig up these glass bottles and then we would hide them and play find the bottle. Like this was the kind of stuff we did. Like my kids don't understand. I try to talk to my kids about like you've never played like find the bottle. (laughs) Right. You know, you've never had to experience that level of boredom in your life. Where you've had to play find you've the ball. Never had to sp- play uh. spot the cockroach. You're soft. They don't get it, right? No, you're soft. Yeah, you're soft. You don't know. You don't. You know. never played whack the head. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh man, it's awesome. You know, Tom, and your point about just the utter lack of supervision. That was like table stakes. I mean, I, I mean, that's that's the whole point. Is that like, yeah. I, I, you know, and Chris, before we started talking, you mentioned that this is like a like there's a lawlessness about growing up like this. You want to you want to talk about that? Because I think that is like part and parcel what made for a true free range childhood was the fact that the laws were your own. Well, I, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I, I am the law. You, well, I mean, even before I was the latchkey kid, which happened, I think, when I was 11. My mom would drop my, I had a younger sister and, and my mom would drop us off at a babysitter's in the morning and we would stay with the babysitter for you know, half an hour until the bus came at, you know, near her place. And then we would get dropped off there. But even then, nobody expected me to stay at the babysitter's house, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it, that's, that's when, that's when the police came, you could say he was last spotted right. at X. <laughs> I, 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 there, there was this absolute freedom and and yeah. we could go it was it really was a magical neighborhood the 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 streets were like five cars wide you know 15 kids could ride abreast on it on their bikes oh, yeah we had nice <laughs> and, yeah. i love that that was so great and it was just a really safe place um yeah you know, and of course everything was safe before uh that kid adam was abducted thing but yeah for us it was timmy melanger we we really could get away with anything and did i like i i there are a lot of stories i simply cannot tell you know on the internet 1982 (laughs) yeah yeah just don't come in the house and you'll be right yeah Yeah. Yeah. there was no time i had to be home really you know i knew my mom would be home around five how long did it really take you to figure out that like you know your parents like assuming that you're in the neighborhood meant this degree of freedom that like you could move outside the neighborhood you could you know be in the not corner of long. the neighborhood that they didn't want you to be <laughs> not in. that like, long that yeah. like five minutes. soft like, boundaries soft yeah. boundaries i, I would yeah, i would they, be they, in the kid's house in the next neighborhood yeah. over no kidding like you know like yeah. like 10 but minutes here's the best part about it is 
you knew where the boundaries are. You did the whole Sam Gamgee. If I take one step farther, I'll be, you know, further than I've yes. ever gone from home. Like you knew <laughs> yes. where the boundaries to your universe Absolutely. were. And you're like, oh, cool. There were like these concentric circles of like safe. Okay. Maybe I'm pushing it totally out of bounds. Yes. Like you, you had these concepts yeah. of like, yeah, that's okay. too far. That's okay. how it's too far. That's so too, did too did far. any of you, okay. This is, this is brilliant, Joe. Did any of you guys ever, ever go truly out of bounds and, and, and what was yes. that experience yes. what, 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 what was your time i want to hear yeah, Tom's when you story. went truly out of bounds what happened i because i got it because i've got an out of bounds story but i'm sure it's not as cool as you guys so I, let's tom oh, what's your out of bounds story here this goes back to the rural slash suburban sort of development thing where like i was with a group of older kids and they wanted to go and take a, a walk to the big rock and I really didn't know. Older kids might as well be pimps and hookers. Yeah, I think pushers. they were smoking <laughs> cigarettes. I think they had full beards and mustache. Like, yeah, no, they, they were like the quintessential. <laughs> like in the, older in the paper bag. I get it. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah they, they wanted to go take a, a walk to the Big Rock, which was this mythical thing with the kids my age. We didn't you know. We we didn't know what it was other than it was a big rock, and we Ooh. wanted to go there. <laughs> um, because the rumor was this rock was as big as a house and, uh, you know, any, any time you could get like a big kid to take you there. And this Jimbo guy seems cool. <laughs> and they had well, it, it was well out of bounds. Yeah, we didn't board. quite know where there's a bottle there. So, you know, I, I'm walking there with the big kids and like, I had that Sam Gamgee moment where I'm like, yeah. Oh God, if I just go to the edge of there over there, like that's definitely further than my parents want me to go. Yeah. And then I got there and I'm like, I'm going to do it anyway. Like, cool. They don't know where I am. <laughs> yep. so it just what they don't know. Expanding the boundary a bit. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Legit big rock is, is one of those like things they call like, the glacial erratics, which are those big freaking boulders that get left behind yeah. by the deposited by the Wisconsin sheet. And now you got to get back to the rural suburban thing. Like somebody bought all the land around this, this uh, rock and they legit built a golf course around it it's called great rock today but like we used to hike to it through the woods and you'd get to it and yeah. it's legit the size of my house today like it, it's 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 gigantic it's yeah. just a gigantic boulder sitting in the middle of the woods and now it's like you know here's here's the back nine and it's right off the great rock you know <laughs> yeah yeah i'm imagining i'm riding on your shoulder right we're going through the woods we're going through what was it like you finally you part through the, the 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 trees and all of a sudden there is the big rock you finally have seen this object of childhood myth what did it feel like to actually lay eyes upon it was it overwhelming was it underwhelming was it both was it neither this was one of the things where i i thought you know like oh my god they told me the truth this time because like every other adventure with the big kids <laughs> it ended up yeah. being some kind of well exaggerated you know tall tale but this was legit yeah. and i was like oh my god for once they told me the truth and now like i gotta remember like how yeah. to get back here because i'm gonna want to come back here all the time it was like a legit yeah. like a huge surprise i've never seen a rock that big you know like it just like <laughs> the scale of that's a big just, rock and i'm tiny you know, right? like, you know like holy crap yeah. <laughs> Holy crap. Did you, as you grew up in this area, did you become later one of those big kids who then took other oh, kids yes. for their first trip to, you to, you to the big rock? Right? You're one of the like, big you, kids. You, you get initiated in and then the next generation has to be, you know, has yeah, to be. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. like, 
you know, to uh, somebody so, uh, who's probably 44 out. right now, I am like the, you know, the, the big kid who, you know, yeah. probably smokes, smokes cigarettes. cigarettes in the world. Yeah. <laughs> I remember when Big Tom Hespos took me to the Big Rock. It was taller than he was. Yeah. That's that's the beginning of a story I don't want the end to right there. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> fantastic. Fantastic. Well, Joe, tell me a little bit about your free range childhood because, you know, you were saying before you grew up in more of, an, of, of a rural area. That's from what I've gathered from little snippets when you talk about, like, New Hampshire. I kind of imagine, like, there were, like, you know, gunfights outside of the saloon and there was, like, mail by biplane and all kinds of crazy anachronisms. And I'm sure they're all wrong, but I'm sure at least three of them are right. So – with that colorful notion of where you grew up being, I mean, like, clue me into the reality of what it was like to grow up where you grew up, and how did that kind of how did that kind of help set the stage for you as a free range kid having a lot of a lot of latitude to sort of seek your own destiny out there, and 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 what did that free you up to do? I mean, you said you had access to the ocean. That's boggling my mind right now. Like, well, dude, we had access to the bay. Okay. Well, same difference. <laughs> so we, we we weren't coastal by any stretch. But I, but I will say this, that like because of the, the nature of the geography, we didn't have access to a lot of other children our age okay. um, within biking or walking range. Two doors down from us, there were a pair of twins who were between me and my brother. My brother is two years older than me, and there was a, a boy and a girl pair of fraternal twins that were between us. So like when my brother was 10 and I was eight, they were nine. And they ended up being our pals because what are you going to do? Yeah, right? sure. And, we would go trick-or-treating together and whatever else. And, and, and speaking of getting outside your Sam Gamgee <laughs> penumbra, <laughs> the four of us one time just making a turn and being like a little too far for trick-or-treating and thinking like, we've never been to this house. Like we are outside of bounds. <laughs> and it was awesome. It was like the coolest <laughs> feeling ever. But Stephen and Stephanie were these, these twins. Stephanie was, uh, was very small. <laughs> she was always tiny. And we made it a pastime to figure out places where we could stash Stephanie, places where we could put her that were, you know, might surprise people or uh, unnerve people. Uh, one time so you're, we are um, ambushing put people with your friend Stephanie. Is that how it is? Like she like pop out of stuff as people walk by? Chris was spoilers, but we, we did it. We, we, we put her inside a rabbit hutch one time. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you. The door to the door to this rabbit hutch was no bigger than like the top of a, of a child's shoebox. And we put Stephanie in the side. So anyway, one time her house had, um, Hang on. somewhere right now, yeah. in, in, somewhere in, somewhere in New Hampshire is this old with old grizzled coyote. Who's like this one time I wanted to get a chicken and I'm not kidding you. A little kid came out. All right. It was crazy. This girl, this came, girl out. came out, scared the hell Nobody out of me. Nobody wants to know. By the way, she's a hell of a triathlete now. Like she's her own thing, and she's still no more than four nine or the hell she is. But anyway, <laughs> sorry, Joe. Um, their house had a mailbox that was a good size mailbox, and <laughs> it was um, fair size. <laughs> I, I so never would have thought we, good we size mailbox was really set up before. Size your mailbox? Like, is that a thing? Good mailbox. <laughs> so we cased we cased the routine of the poor mailman, <laughs> and we understood what time of day right. he'd come by. <laughs> As you do. And we arranged to have Stephanie inside the mailbox (laughs) when the mailman was on his appointed rounds. And we hid in the bushes to watch while Stephanie crouched and wait for the mailman inside the mailbox. And so he comes up in his truck, you know, in his little mail van or whatever. And he he opened the door and she like, (laughs) I think we killed the poor guy. I think he had a heart attack. He was he was a heavy, heavy fellow. Um, Those scares are not something he, you he carried his weight high, you know. 
<laughs> and, um, I mean, dogs. So what yeah. passed for? <laughs> Maybe you get a flat tire. What You're not pa- getting a lot of jump scares. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead, go ahead Joe. What, what passed for entertainment in 1981, 82, 83 was giving the mailman a heart attack on our street. What I remember most about that is he he tried to go to the door to complain and nobody was home. (laughs) 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 It's like like no childhood memories. Uh, I was at my friend, my buddy Brad's house in another neighborhood, quite, quite close. We like, we, we, I don't know why we did it. (laughs) I really don't. But we, we, (laughs) we waited in the woods by a road in his neighborhood. You know, it was like, you know, one of those like intentionally left empty, empty lots. And as a car came, came, came driving up, we just, we jumped out in front of it. And and aimed our fingers like they were guns. We're like blam, 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 blam. Today you'd be dead. I understand. Yeah, right. And and then you know we went he 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 and took off into the woods. This car slams on its brakes, slams it in park, and this this teenage girl jumps out. It comes after us like the wrath of God. I heard footsteps behind us sounded like Godzilla. <laughs> they, it was like a Predator movie, right? Like you they know. want him to this and, day. And she caught it. <laughs> I, I was ahead of Brad. <laughs> That's all you had to be. He's just slow and never. <laughs> she caught us when we got back to the house anyway and and uh her problem was that nobody was there to, to do anything about it <laughs> I mean, uh, who are you gonna complain to mom and dad are at work she had, what you gonna she had do? left like her keys in her car <laughs> through the woods she just had to leave just to salute you again old person <laughs> I'm 16 years old. <laughs> Shut up, old one. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah. This this might be this might have no relationship to anything, and, and that's fine. But like when I was graduating from high school, we went out on the and, and we were like shooting water balloons. We had like a gadunge, oh, one yeah, of those, yeah. um, and you know, we were just shooting water balloons off the railroad tracks. Well, we were causing trouble. Not 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 was doing it, anything. Was like like a catapult, like a, a big funnel later. Yeah, it's Fun a big later. it's yeah. a big catapult thing, okay. and you're just launching them, you know, off rooftops sure. and off the railroad tracks and not causing any damage or whatever. Um, this police car came around a corner with his lights on and me and two of my buddies like, ran it. and climbed this fence. <laughs> Tease it. It's, Tease it's it. fun. Tease it. And it's the it's Alice. Let's go. And so we, we go up this fence. Little do we know the fence we're climbing is behind the post office. So now we're trespassing on Yay. federal property. And according to the, the, the girl and, and guy we left behind, this car, this police car came around the corner on like two wheels and this guy, TJ Hookers, out of the door. Like there were two guys in it and one of these guys like does like a barrel roll across the lawn and like chases us, right? And so two of us go and we hide under a bush and our other buddy is in like a white tank top and the guy's like the whitest person you've ever wanted to be around. And so the, the cop catches him because he's white as white. He's like a beacon yeah. in the, in the yeah. wilderness. And he says... 
call out to your friends. And me and my buddy are under this bush. We're like, all you have to say is I'm by myself. Yeah, like, right. What are you doing? And he's like, guys, come out. We're like, what are you doing? So we all get out and we go back sheepishly, like, like you know, scuffling our yeah. feet back near the Suckers. police car. And and this is like, <laughs> this is like May of my senior year of high school. No. And this cop goes, wait a minute. He takes our names and he says, wait a minute. And he goes back to the, the cruiser and he comes back and he's got the local paper. Well, that day, the top 10 students thing had come out in the paper with our pictures and names. <laughs> oh, no. And oh, me and my buddy were like three and six. Oh, no. And he looks and he's like, oh, look, guys, here you are. And he looks at me and it's like, you know, like it was a sprinter. And I was yeah. like, I guess you're not that fast. <laughs> this is the cop like busting my ball. Yo. And I was like, I'd be fine if it wasn't for the guy, the white dude in the tank top, like who couldn't play ball. Get <laughs> away from you, anyway. MFR. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Let me know. I outran you, yeah. TJ you yeah, you didn't find me. <laughs> I outran you, Shatner. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting chased was a common theme. By like doing something that were like old, old people could come like haul after you. The cops. What you gotta understand, Bill, is the cops were like, oh, f- it. You know, they're like, whatever. I'm like, what? Yeah, like, what's not what we wanted to do today? I wanted to do nothing not, not today. Worth it. <laughs> no. Yeah, we get chased a lot. Did you guys do this like on dirt bikes and stuff like that? Do you ever uh, get chased? Well, by like that, a car. <laughs> I got pulled over by a cop on a bike once. I've been hit by one. What you're no. talking about? <laughs> Like, no, because it was always illegal to ride, like, dirt bikes in the woods. You were trespassing. But, like, yeah. no so, one ever stopped for any reason because they were never going to catch you. And you just ne- – that was yes. that was the law. I'm like, if yeah. you just stop, go. you're just in go. Yeah. Yeah. We don't go. Know just keep anymore. going. That's that, run, Forrest, run. There were not that many dirt bikes <laughs> where go. I grew up. There's one kid, Blake Belding, had a dirt bike, and he was infamous because the Palmer Township PD wanted Mr. him. Mr. Belding? They wanted him hard. And I remember, like, you know, he was giving rides on his dirt bike in, in, in the park. I'm, like, hanging on. I was like, yeah, nah, 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 going down. And I caught. Were you riding the spokes? Were you no, riding the. I, 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 I was riding behind Blake, hanging on to him. You know, like, I was, like, the second guy were in the seat. On? Right? You know, we're in this, like, big, you know, ball field. And all of a sudden, this patrol car goes by. Blake goes, I got to go. And he nudges me back, and I kind of fall back. And he pops a wheelie. Bye-bye. And just takes off, right? Like, nah, nah. And the cop, like, point. yeah. And the cop's like, pulls around, goes after him, trying to call, like, cut him off with the pass. And Blake is like, he just takes off. And, and we're like, we're like, some say he's still running to this day. Like, like they never Trumpy caught ravine. him. Yeah. It's all you, Bill. Yeah, it's all you. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was like, he was like, like the, he was like the DB Cooper of our neighborhood because we knew that he had this dirt bike and nobody could ever. He's still out there. He's, he's still out there somewhere just doing laps around the neighborhood. You know, nobody could find him. Got three copies of Way Out by the Big Rock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He was definitely legend. You no, know? but there weren't that many dirt bikes. It was all just pedal bikes, like BMX bikes, three speed, you know, you know that, that, that kind of. That kind of yeah. stuff. Nobody really had motorized bikes too much. No, we in in my neighborhood, only one kid did, and he never took it out because <laughs> yeah. yeah. he would have been mobbed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never <laughs> had one myself, but like a lot of the friends, and like that's how the 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 trails for the bikes would get carved. Is you know the older kids taking sure. their dirt bikes through the woods, but you know later yeah. on when I did get you know a quad and some other stuff like. That was the rule. Just never stop for the cops because <laughs> nothing good's going to happen and it's not going to get ever. worse by you running away. So. <laughs> not ever. My only legitimate interaction with the police is, is so stupid. And it, it said more about the state of my local police department than it did about anything we were up to. But I was in eighth grade and I had just started school at a 
private school. My parents take me to the local public, public school, and I was in private school. So they had a different holiday schedule, so they had a little bit more time off during Easter. Like, we started later and went later, something like that. Point is— You got Rosh Hashanah off. It's okay. <laughs> we were off on Eastern break. Our joystick for our Apple IIe finally had died. And my brother and like, well, this can't stand. we got to get another joystick or else we're not going to be able to play games. We decided we were going to get on our bikes. We had enough money saved up. We were going to go have these on a brand new joystick. But we had to go to the local. Is there a crossing of a highway? There's involved? not a crossing of a highway, but we had to get to, well, kind of, but we had to get to the Palmer Park Mall to go buy it, right? So we had a back route, you know, kind of figured out that wasn't going to take us across any really major roadways. It was pretty safe. So we get there and we're walking around the mall. It's like, it's like in the morning. Like we're like the only two kids in the entire mall. Everybody's like walking along. People are looking at us like, why are they here? And my brother keeps going. Yeah. But like, we're like, you know, we're just like walking. We're not causing trouble. And my brother keeps going. I, I, dude, I think there's a policeman following us. I'm like, what? And I turn around. There's no, Where's there's no the policeman. Right? He's, like, he's like, no, dude, like he's actually like hiding in a plant looking at us. I look and like, I see nobody. He's like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And the entire time, he's like, I'm telling you, there's this old cop following us, right? And he was doing this, like, Inspector Clouseau stuff, like, hiding around corners and, like, you know, <laughs> peering through, like, potted plants and whatnot. And, and finally, we buy our joystick, we get on our bikes, we're heading home, and we're going up this really intense hill. We're like, you know, because you know, like, when you lived on a bike, like, getting up a big hill is like, you got to get your steam going, and you're like, all right, we're going to go. Sure. And, of course, this guy, middle, middle, you know. And if Bill is riding behind you, it sucks. Yeah, yeah I understand. It's like, you know, midway up the hill, all of a sudden, you know, the cop shows up, like, oh, come on. And he gets out, and he's like, he's like, why are you two kids not in school? We're like, well, we're on school break. What do you mean you're on school break? Well, we're on school break. You know, we go to Moravian, and still, it's, you know, it's still Easter. He goes, yeah, if I call them, is that what they're going to say? And I can't believe that I said, well, no, they're not going to say anything because we're on break. There's oh, nobody God. there. You didn't mouth <laughs> I, off. I, I, and I, I didn't even think about it. I said it, and my brother looks at me, and he's like, you're going to jail. Right? <laughs> I was like, I was, I couldn't believe I said it. I'm like, Ooh! and the guy's like, guys, but we actually had school IDs on us. So we gave him our school IDs to prove where we went to school, and he looks at it, and finally he's like, he's <sighs> like just don't cause any trouble and send us on our way. We got home and I relayed the story and I even relayed what I said to the cop and I couldn't believe it. And my parents howled laughing and then I got these two radically different responses once they were done laughing. My my mother, who was a school administrator herself, was like, okay, but seriously, you can't talk to the police like that. That was very, very wrong of you. And my father, who was a criminal defense attorney, was like, ha, 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 yes. He was, like, to the man. He, was like, he was like, get in their face. And I was like... I was like, I don't know what to believe. Like, you guys get, there's so much daylight between your viewpoints here. I don't know what to do. <laughs> so we had a fort that my, my dad and a couple of the neighborhood guys had built made out of plywood and stuff from the shipyard and fiberglass and whatever else. And the thing was probably eight feet tall with a little adults built this like for the kids. Yeah. They were probably hammered. Yeah. And, um, and we used to climb up on the top of it and it was great. And we had a good time. And there was a gang though in the neighborhood, like, and I might have been seven, and my brother was nine, and the oldest kid in the gang was probably ten. yeah. If you jump off the fort, you're in it, and you're cool. <laughs> and so we're all up on the roof of this thing, and I'm not gonna jump off it because I'm like seven or eight, and I'm not I'm not big enough to jump off it. But my brother is, and he's standing on the edge, and I'm thinking, I want my brother to be cool. I want him to manage, and he's standing there thinking things. So I give him a shove, just a little nudge. He lands face first into a pile of hood crates. You guys familiar with hood no. crates? No. Yeah. Like, um, okay, these are milk crates. The hard plastic grid yeah, yeah, milk yeah. crates. Those we are nice to land on. Okay. 
What, why, why, hang, hang, why, he lands are they on called it. hood crates because that's, that's like the brand of like milk or whatever? Yeah, yeah. hood. Hood is the. Oh, oh okay, right. So, milk, but, so, but like hard milk crates, that's like landing on. Hard like, plastic grid crates. Damn. He lands face first, and his lip was probably, you know, I mean, he looked like Mike Tyson by the end of it with the way his lip was. And, but I'm like, but you're in the club, right? Like you're in the gang. And he had to go to the hospital, the whole thing. But I, and he was so, he's angry at me now. <laughs> See, no, when you go to but the bro, hospital, you're so you don't cool, get in though. the gang. <laughs> if you go to the hospital, I think you're automatically yeah, in the gang. Right, I don't know. Exactly. I don't know. Oh, man. Not it, the gangs I, I know. I think I'm in the gang. <laughs> we started getting into like war gaming. Um, and I don't mean like Warhammer figurines. I mean like actual like going to war with each other, doing the things you could do as a kid. So it all got started one summer when my brother Tom, who's no longer with us and is at the heart of many of these stories, I can speak about them without her, you know, <laughs> but he discovered at the local lane code, they're selling cheap Frisbees for a dollar a piece. And so he got like 25 of them. And we were just like, and it was like, this, and, we, and we were like throwing them, we, and start off, let's, let's play Tron. We're, Tron. Just throwing, yeah. we're just throwing Frisbee at each other constantly, throwing them at cars that went by, bang, banging off the window, people coming, you know, running at you. And so people were like, oh, let's play Tron. And we're playing like Tron in the street. It was kind of nutty, right? Well, eventually, <laughs> eventually, we lost all the frisbees. Right. Nobody wanted to buy more, right? So the frisbees, you know, they can only last for so long. So we knew this is when like Tron was in its final days and had for a brief time had become Voltron, right? And the idea was you had your 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 laser sword with a stick and somebody had their spinning laser blade and you try to deflect them and all that sort of nonsense. But that was the holdover game while Tom was working on phase two. And phase two was at that time, like tennis was an incredibly popular sport amongst the grownups, right? So you could find like, lost discarded tennis balls kind of everywhere you went like if you looked hard enough you could find tennis ball in, in a lawn i mean they're just all over the place tennis balls were all over the place so he just went around pleased up all these tennis balls and it's like i got an idea takes a pair of scissors and just stabs a tennis ball chunk stabs another tennis ball chunk takes a length of rope knots it on either end forces the knot through the little hole in the tennis ball and then hey look at this I've got a bolo, right? Like, which he had read about, like, an Encyclopedia Britannica or something. Like, check this out. It's like, whew, 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 throws it around, like, you know, wraps some kid up. And we're like, that is awesome. So we all we all start making these bolos. Yeah, we all start, yeah, right? We all start making these bolos. And then the other kids were like, dude, what are you guys making? Like, we're making bolos. Check this. He's like, hey, Ricky, go run. Why? And he's running, like, whoo, and he hit him on the, on the legs. And he, like, that one time I threw one, he gets my friend right around the calves, like, perfectly, like, in a movie. Like, you know, and then he just, like, you know, his legs come together. It's, ah, falls over. And people are like, this is the best ever. So we start having these bolo wars, right? 20 kids in the neighborhood are just hurling bolos at each other across the street. It was just bedlam. But after a while, what happened is enough of them would would go high and wrap around the power lines and the power guy to come out and keep cutting these bolos off. And finally, one day, like the <laughs> the power truck drives to the middle of the intersection, gets out, and he's like, all right, everybody, come on out. <laughs> we're like, oh, God. No. <laughs> and he always comes out and he goes, he goes, look, he goes, I get what you're doing, and this is pretty cool, but you got to stop throwing them around the power lines. I got to come out here one more time to cut these things you're making on the power lines. I'm telling your parents. Do we understand each other? We're like, yes, yes you know, yeah, and that, that that you don't know who my parents are. Well, oh, half of us are like, you don't have parents. Right. I live at 155 <laughs> Pleasant <laughs> exactly. Avenue. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. 
Did you ever have the name of the other kid in the other neighborhood you didn't like who you just threw out there anytime you got in that level of trouble? <laughs> yes, the McMenemies. It was. It was. It, they were like our. They were like our doppelganger. It was a family of boys like the same size of ours, and we were just like, oh, the McMenemies. And like, it got to one point. Where finally, one time, Mrs. McMenemy rolled up in front of our house. She's like, "Why are your kids blaming everything on my kids?" And we're like, "Because you're because you guys are dicks and you're convenient. Suck. I don't know what to do." It's like, "Could you straight up suck, lady?" <laughs> exactly. Pretty much. <laughs> Once the bolo thing had to end, we had all these cut-in-half bolos. And a lot of people were like, well, that's it. I guess we're going away. And my brother's like, no, no, we worked on this too hard. And this that was phase three, where you take a bolo, you take one end of the bolo off, and then you just have like a long ro- end of rope with a tennis ball at the end. And he, he nailed it to a stick of wood, like a mason chain. And I was like, yeah. Now you've got a morning star. Yeah, you got that. And, and that we would, so we would go out, we would go to town on each other with that and garbage can lids. Like, yeah, like, bang, bang, <laughs> like gladiator. Wars, yeah. yeah, and that went on for a long period of time. It finally, eventually, those all broke apart. It's almost like Battle Royale. Like with each phase, the number of people who got involved got fewer and fewer. So finally, it was just me and my brother, like trying to kill each other. And eventually, somehow it morphed just into um, uh, knight versus peasant. My brother was on a three speed, and he had the um, he had the garbage can lid on one hand, driving around, and he would run. And, down. Yeah, and he had a wiffle ball bat. He would just run. He would basically ride around and just lay me up with a wiffle ball bat. Like dang, oh, this you know hurts so bad. I bet he I had, invented this game. He very much did. Yes, absolutely, Chris. This is entirely his invention, right? I was the dumb one who went along with it. But see, he had all the advantages. I had no we- I had no armor whatsoever, but I was armed with a broom, right? So I so my thing is I could I was armed with I, I could I can get in standoff was- range and like jab him in the face of the broom, try and knock him off the bike. And eventually what happened is um I I, I still remember to this day, he was just <laughs> He was just welting me again and again with a stand wiffle ball bat. Finally, I'm like, enough! And I just take the broom and I upend it, throw it like a spear through the front, like through the spokes of the front wheel of there the bike, go. and boom! He goes end over end, sprawls out on the Dude, on the, the whole, on the thing. Yeah, lacerates yeah. his finger real Indiana bad, the stitches bit. the whole nine yards. Um, you know, yeah, yeah, because like at that age when you get stitches, that's like the big deal. No, he he got <laughs> stitches. I'm like, yeah, the peasant always wins, it's man. Just, it's, like just... management will always bow before labor, and that's that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so that's how that's how our warfare went. But like, this is the thing about like you, you could come up with these crazy, inherently, in some way damaging or dangerous games, and they just they just kind of took on their own their own life. And everybody like had like when I talk to people, they often either knew of games like this, or they came up with games like this, or they sort of did things that were similarly kind of bonkers, and just that was kind of a cool thing about about that scene. Oh, yeah. We used to have like gladiator wars, you know, like uh, just stuff we found around the garage. It was definitely garbage can lids, but like, you know, a bike chain, like, <laughs> like stuff you Ooh. really hurt. Like, you guys Ooh. are like the warriors. Crazy. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Come out and play. <laughs> so bored. You know, like the, the warfare in our neighborhood was like, uh, you know, we, we would play games of army and stuff like that. Mostly it was for like the cool uniforms and the camouflage. Yeah. You get like pieces of sticks, you know, from lumber we found in the houses that were still being built. And those were the guns. And, you yeah. know, if somebody's, you know, family was in the military and you could get like a cool, like, you know, pea green jacket or something like that. Yeah. That was yeah, really right. cool for games of army. But, you know, you get tired of like arguing over like who hit who and stuff like that. Right. So then like, we solved that problem one day with laser tag. And you know, oh, laser tag, tag turned out to be a cheap piece of crap, and you know, yeah, it created more arguments than it um, than it than it solved. That just turned into one pump BB gun wars. Did you guys ever have those? 
we had something a little air gun, a little Daisy Love. <laughs> yeah, we had yeah. we had something similar. They they were um and Daisy may have made them. They're called air they're called airsoft guns. They're kind of yeah, like yeah. they're they're like BB guns made to shoot at, at your friends. And but they were like exact replicas of actual firearms. My brother had an Uzi that looked like an honest to god Uzi. Like he could have yeah. probably hijacked a plane with it. You know, like it was that kind of stuff. But I mean, they would leave a welt if you got hit with it. I mean, you felt it, but it wasn't quite the one pump BB gun war. All one pump BB gun fights did was lead to bigger arguments because <laughs> somebody would then fights. argue, "Oh, that wasn't one pump you hit me with." And then one uh, pump. The more you pump, the harder it is to argue. Suddenly turn into four pump BB gun fights, which turn into you know, my friend Rich had a BB in his leg for the better part of a year yes. by the time it fell out of his leg it was all green and disgusting he, <laughs> he got well, shot at it's there before, now. and it went into his leg and he never told his parents yeah <laughs> like why would, why would you code of right? silence <laughs> among the kids yeah. like Man. this thing did not happen uh, code oh, of silence is a thing i say you know so we didn't do a lot of stuff with bb guns what we did have though were um wrist rocket slingshots oh, oh god yeah, that's worse those would, <laughs> those would straight up kill a man oh I mean, yeah hardcore my wrist rocket story also involves my brother tom the prologue to that was him getting shot in the butt with rock salt from an angry farmer who unloaded uh, with him uh, on him where i grew up there was a autumn time um it was this guy called farmer maggot yeah farmer maggot <laughs> he grew really good mushrooms so the night before halloween was called mischief night right and the big thing you would do when you ran around on mischief night, because we grew up in a kind of semi-rural area, was this thing called tic-tacking. And tic-tacking was you went around into farmers' fields where they had corn they had not harvested, but it kind of dried up on the stalk. And you got it, and you, you shucked the corn and got all these super dry you know, kernels of corn, right? And you just got like a, a big pouch of it. And it, the dead of night, you'd run around. And you walk up to somebody's house and you throw handfuls of this corn against their house because everybody had like aluminum siding and it would make this big like hailstone noise. You know, it's like, ha ha, we are kids throwing crap against your household, man. Come chase us. <laughs> you know, it's like, ha ha. And it was like the big, and you know, sometimes those people just like, you know, freaked out and ran at you and shook their fist in the air and that sort of thing. It was just kind of a fun thing. But one year, my brother decided because he had a gift for like escalating things beyond where they should go. <laughs> he just, <laughs> he had the gift of escalation. Yeah, he had the gift of escalation. He was going to, like tic tac every house in in the zip code. Like he was gonna just and he was and he needed industrial levels of corn. So there's one farm <laughs> that like that like he would go to. It's kind of known like the farmer's kind of a jackass. You shouldn't go mess with him. My, my brother's like I don't care. I'm gonna go up there all the time. He's there like every day. Like it's his job. Like openly like pillaging the leftovers. Of this guy's you, you, you know. You know, thing he's trespassing and the guy's shouting at him my brother like, whatever you know and, and he's like filling up like a whole garbage can full of corn right and finally this farmer's like i've had enough and one day my brother comes home and he goes bill i've been shot i'm like wait what he goes i've been shot i'm like what do you mean drops his pants and then there is this i mean a jimmy of a welt on his on his buttock right and this farmer to show he wasn't kidding around jimmy. unloaded unloaded <laughs> Two two barrels of rocks on my brother's direction, and one of them just yeah. got him right on the on the boot socks, and so that ended that. Right, word got out that Tom got blasted harvesting tic tac and corn. So suddenly, and he was like out before everybody else was getting their corn. So everybody in the else neighborhood's like, "What are we going to do for mischief night? Nobody's got corn, and it's not worth getting shot over. What are we going to do?" And then the the idea was, "I know what we'll do. 
we'll steal from Tom. Right. <laughs> he's got he's got a silo of corn. We'll just go into his garage at night and steal it. And Tom's like, oh, no, you're not. I got shot for this corn. Because he had a treehouse as well, Tom, although his was more like a just a platform in the tree at the corner of our yard, kind of like, like what a deer hunter would sit in, you know? Yeah, deer's and block, it, yeah. A flat, if you yeah. will. <laughs> and he's up there, and like, Tom goes out there. He's dressed up in his Asian world of martial arts ninja costume he bought, right? He's like all kitted out like an honest-to-God ninja with his wrist rocket, with horse chestnuts ready to go. And he sees like the first kid comes and like takes some some corn from this thing. He's like, I see you there, Skip Olsen. Skip's like, oh, no, and starts running. Tom jumps, Tom, jumps at, Tom jumps out of the thing, ha, takes a knee, half draw, fires, hits Skip in the back of the leg, and Skip like howls and goes hobbling off into the darkness. And like the next day, word gets out like I think Skip's leg is gonna fall off. <laughs> He's got this bruise on his leg that is like it looks like he got hit by like a softball fired through a cannon. I mean, it was awful. It was gross, right? But but then everybody's like, Oh, Tom, can we have some of your corn? He's like, Yes, you can. You can have my corn. You just can't take my corn <laughs> you know and that's how he became the corn the broker the thing, yeah. yeah it's the principal thing that that's how that's how he became the corn broker uh that year that, you, you, know. you think job of the hut let anybody take his corn <laughs> no uh-uh <laughs> you can't just take the corn man come on we also did some combat things in my later adolescence uh it it was the realistic looking uzi water guns yes battery powered water those things are great yeah someone had left behind like a crane in this field a crane like an honest to god like an, an honest, crane? honest to god like small construction crane and it was like the centerpiece for all our battles but was joe's diminutive friend hanging from said crane by the no, way sadly okay not that i ever saw anyway but <laughs> but uh yeah you'd never see missed <laughs> opportunity man <laughs> but, but as far as combat sports go i think the worst we ever did was throwing darts at each other oh yes and, and and did a now, good deal of that. I I did. I these did actual once... like these actual throwing darts. Oh or yeah. Did you make these okay like real darts. We made our own darts. We would tape a Q-tip to the end of um, a sewing needle and throw them at each other. And ow, yeah, like like close quarters. Like it just stuck. Like hey man. And my brother, my brother sucked at it so bad. He he escalated by taking the needle off. So no needle, but he would break the Q-tip in half and load it down the barrel of his BB gun and fire that like point blank range like from his bedroom. <laughs> It was still- we had a dartboard in the basement and it was mounted on this massive thing of, of uh, particle board so that it would protect the, the concrete of the basement walls because we would throw <laughs> we used to throw these darts They're like winding up like pitchers like yeah yes pretty much we used to take uh, the paper bags the paper grocery bags and draw pictures on them of like, you know, monster manual, sure, sure. animal, you know, monsters or whatever. And we, and we would tack them to the, the dartboard. We, we introduced the concept of defense to the game of darts. And so you'd have one guy throwing the darts and the other guy, like, with oven mitts, stopping <laughs> the darts. Fantastic idea. So, <laughs> so I would, good. I would so pay to watch guy, this on television. Like, pay for Yes. So Tonight on the Ocho. Absolutely. You'd have two darts. You'd have a dart in each hand, and you would drop back like a quarterback in a professional football game. And then the guy with oven mitts would come at you and you had to like, you had to like shuck and jive and you were throwing on the run. Oh my There's God. There's no way that could go and wrong. And you might get the board. You might get the wall. You might get the plywood. You might get the guy with the oven mitts. You might get him 
glancing off the like shoulder. In the neck. <laughs> like any, any number of things were the outcomes that were possible. Yeah, yeah. And you nobody ever told a parent. What ever. was the worst? What right. was the worst injury that came out of this game, Joe? I nicked my brother's earlobe once, and we we agreed that it was not that big a deal. <laughs> I, However, I, it was worth one hundred and eighty. <laughs> I, I once stuck a dart in Scott Martin's temple. Like, ooh, like stuck like that must have been the coolest, <laughs> yes, serious moment it was scary as right you know like F. it's awesome oh whoa 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 you're yeah. right yeah. it was the scariest thing yeah. well second scariest thing i ever experienced yeah walter and robbie the two guys i mentioned earlier had a rusty yeah. dark fight when they were kids and it was like the stuff of legend <laughs> because like that was the high bar for like you're freaking insane like absolutely <laughs> parents dragging them to the hospital for <laughs> the rusty dark not no way well because well, well, getting a tetanus so it, we called that the tetanus bowl yeah yeah right exactly well, like in my in childhood lore, getting a tetanus shot was was like the worst second thing to ever. getting. It was like the worst thing ever, right? Because yeah, you imagine Winner. like a big industrial press is gonna like hole punch you like in half, like, like you just seem like <laughs> in your belly. Yeah, I mean, I, I, he was the toughest cop on the beat until he stepped on that. Yeah, exactly. Man. And then he had to get a tetanus shot. Yeah. He died. You know, it's like <laughs> now he's locked yeah. <laughs> Remember that yeah, SNL yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but I want to tell this about the puncture wounds, by the way. So, like, oh, yeah. We had a um, uh, chapter a, five uh, hardware store puncture wounds. Uh, Did you tell a story about puncture wounds? In my town. Uh, it was called HBH, and nobody knew what HBH stand for. So they just called it Hillbilly Hardware. And it was like this. <laughs> That's good. You know, though. like other people called them the dirty people. It was like this weird hardware place where like they were legit like hillbillies, like sometimes weren't wearing shoes in their own store, but like they could find anything. If you were like, I need this like impeller for like a 1960 Electrolux vacuum cleaner, like they had it somewhere. It was, you know, the whole store was this mess. Yeah. Like people figured out. So they had this like little display of like, you know, what I guess eventually became known as like mall ninja. Sh so like you could walk into the store and they would have like butterfly <laughs> knives and like Bowling you know stores. like mall ninja stuff yeah and then one time they had like legit like shurikens like holy crap like the kids would like go into the store and try and get this guy to sell it to them and they figured out that the magic age was 15 if you told this guy <laughs> you were 15 he would sell it to you so like this got passed down from like the older kids that you could buy a butterfly knife or you could buy chinese stars from the guy at hillbilly hardware if you told him you were 15 so yeah. this led to every kid in the neighborhood suddenly having a bunch of these things winging them around right sure. and i remember one time you met you met my friend ed on playstation we were in his garage one time and we're throwing them at the sheetrock on the inside of his garage yeah you know one went wide at just the exact second that his mom opened the door to go <gasps> into the garage oh, no. and the thing sailed like directly over her head it was the no. closest call i think we'd ever had in our entire childhood we're like God. that is the end of that like we self like shut that down like, we're thing. never throwing yeah, these right. things around ever again do you, do you remember making the folding paper ninja stars when you're a kid oh, yes. yeah that was great man. yeah yeah yeah. Around, yeah i landed one of those in my bus no driver's question. lap once uh, wasn't good. Wasn't good at all I don't want to hear about Chris and his experiences with his bus driver's lap. No. But, you know, I, um, I don't want to think about it either. I, really. <laughs> I would say the, the closest to a fatality we ever had was playing flashlight tag. And we had a buddy of ours named Mike Cordes, who was not a bright soul. And we used to call him Mitch Cortex. Um, that's how not bright he was. He climbed up a pine tree 
a good 40 feet playing flashlight tag. And I think it was a buddy of ours who, who shone the flashlight on him and said, you know, he said my brother's name, like, oh, it's Al. And Mike's like, haha, no. And he lost his balance <laughs> and he fell and he hit like three branches on the way down. Bum, 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 bam. We're like, Mike is dead. dead. <laughs> we should get Mike, out of Mike here. Is dead. No one can survive that. Cheese <laughs> it. Nobody complains us here. I think he's dead. And uh, and we went and we managed to revive him. Thankfully, you know, he wasn't that bright, so he was able to pop back up again. And and I remember thinking to myself, like, maybe we shouldn't play flashlight tag in the vertical center as much. <laughs> did Joe? Did somebody actually say the words? I think he's dead. Oh yeah, um, oh yeah. We, we all were like, we're, we were, we're like, totally Mike, sure. We're, we're pretty confident. <laughs> he was not, only is, not only is he dead, like he's not just dead. He's like three feet into yeah. the ground. Like he fell from forty feet. That's up. like a like and, a wily coyote impression of his outline in the, in the soil. Creator. I think the only thing that saved him is that he bounced off some limbs. Yeah, already. yeah. I think that's the only thing that saved yeah. him. Like a superhero on awnings. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta understand about this guy, by the way. Exactly right. The only thing, the thing about Mike, you gotta understand, is one time he used to drive a Chevette, and one time he he got into a high speed. This is in high school. He got into a high speed chase with the cops, and he and he in like a Chevette? he ran away. Oof, that's yes. a and he ran away. That's not a self aware man. He got into a low speed chase with the cops, <laughs> and he and he ran away, and he pulled into a driveway and like hid under the steering wheel and thought he was safe. Until the cops knocked on his window because he had his knee on the on the brake pedal, <laughs> so, so, so the the brake lights were on. Yeah, you know, getting on combat. One story I have to say real quick is at one point in time when my brother and I had run out of things to throw at each other, we started throwing um, those old five and a half inch floppy disks at each other because they actually made like really handy improvised throwing stars. You know, they hurt like They'd throw a brake. I bet. They hurt a lot. And actually, one time, one time, my brother threw one at me. And I was like, "Whoa!" And it went past my head, and it hit the like the the shade to my window just right, and it sliced through the whole thing like a knife. Like, <laughs> I'm like, "Dude!" And I just gra- and I grabbed one, and he goes running the hallway. I'm like, "Yeah!" And I heave it as hard as I can, and he goes running down the hallway. And I, I could still see this, I mean, in sl- <laughs> like in bullet time. So he's like, he runs down the hallway and he ducks around this corner where the stairwell is. So he's now out of the line of fire. So this this floppy disk is going to fly down the hallway into my parents' room and not hit him. Somehow, because you know this old, this, this is a true floppy disk, right? So they had like a little like cutout in the middle, like a, like a little circular cutout sure, in the middle. Sure. And it had like cutout in the plastic sleeve where the actual disk was. And it, it could kind of catch air in a weird way, I guess. And that's the only explanation I have for what happened because I threw this as hard as I could and it flies down the hallway. My brother goes around the corner and it makes this remarkable 90 degree turn <laughs> in midair and follows him around the corner and bang, pops him right in the melon. Like he's like, oh, look. Is this yeah, magic he, he just comes around, look at me like, what was that? And I'm like, I I'm wish I knew. You have this yeah. and, and, like, he had, for the Apple IIe. That's what that was. <laughs> right, seriously, like I was like, I was like, elephant disquettes. They never forget. Neither do I. No, but, but <laughs> I need the Zapruder film. Elephant. This is like the Hernandez Seinfeld. Yeah. Right? Like it really was. No, he, had a, he had a wound on his head. Never t- again. It was the Omerita. He never told anybody, but he was like, it was like a bad wound in his head. And the corners got him right perfectly. So. But yeah, that's that's the that's the, the Mortal Kombat of the time. It was just you know it was during the witching hour, like four o'clock in the afternoon. Nobody's gonna be home to find out. You can make as much noise as you wanted. So, 
You can get the knives out. I was like, I was like, I, I might have been like six, and I was on a tire swing in the backyard, you know, just 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 doing the tire swing thing. And my brother, for some reason, had a rock rake, one of those like rakes that had the steel tines, and he threw it over his shoulder, just like I'm done. And it, and I, I happened to swing. To this day, I think it was on purpose. He claims it was not, but I swung and it hit me right on the, the side of the <laughs> like head. <a> spear explains <laughs> a lot. I haven't forgiven him, and it's been 40 years. <laughs> My culture, that's a dick move. When I was young, when I was maybe five years old, we had, I think, six pigs. And my father was a police officer, and he was working midnights. And he came home Saturday morning, Sunday morning, like, you know, five or six o'clock in the morning. And he used to go to the, the donut shops after they were closed, and he'd get the big trash bag full of day-old The best donuts. kind, by the way. And he'd come home. And he'd wake up me, wake up my brother, and he and a buddy of his, they'd get a beer I'm because they were getting off work. Donuts. It doesn't matter with five or six in the morning. <laughs> what's that? What's that? He said, help me bury these donuts. <laughs> yeah, right? In my belly. <laughs> so he said, he'd come in and he'd say, like, get your shoes on and put your hat on. And I'd be like, okay. And I'd come out and I used to ride the pigs while they ate the donuts that my, bro- that my father had brought home. And I cannot think of a more redneck, free-range That's like Clive Barker-ish, though. And putting on your cowboy hat and your shoes. He was right there. Yeah, this was supervised. But, Tom, this was supervised by my father, who to this day is as much of a child as we are. And I need to meet him. I really do. Riding a pig around and around and around until you fell into the mud and the other stuff that's in the pig pen. So my mother used to wake up at like seven o'clock on the weekends and come and like, here I am covered in mud and pig. <laughs> and my father and a buddy of his from the department drinking their beer, eating the, eating the day old donuts and, and feeding donuts to the pigs. Like, is there a more redneck rural experience than that? I don't Joe, think I'm not going to kid you. That sounds pretty awesome. I miss it. <laughs> I would. I would totally miss it. It was like a challenge to stay on the pig, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like... So was this like? Was this like? Listen, riding a pig sounds easy. <laughs> it's not. Those yeah. motherfuckers don't want to be ridden. <laughs> These are words I never thought I'd hear said in this podcast, but here we are. I love it. So it, this is like bucking bronco. Or is this like actual pig races? Like, would you guys like? It's like running because it's the only one I'm trying to beat is my own time. I'm just trying to stay on line. Eight, eight seconds. Seconds. It's not like that. I'm just I'm just writing this, trying to entertain my father and whatever buddy he brought back from the department. And that, that makes it a little sad, though. <laughs> well, there's nothing sad about this at all. This is this was a bonding yeah. experience for me and my father. Listen, I will also you're say being this. you're being dealt in on adult shenanigans. That's like that's like privileged territory. When I was maybe eight or nine years old, and my brother was you know nine or ten. My father used to come get us and we go, we're going to the pick and pay. The pick and pay was the grocery store in Portsmouth, which is now far more gentrified than it is now. But back in those days, it was a rougher place. And we'd go behind it. And behind it, where there were some dumpsters where they used to throw away their, their day-old fruit. And a bunch of cops off-duty would come and we'd have these fights with peaches and apples and fruit that was like had gone. With, with had the gone. cops. And we would, we, they're organizing it. Oh, oh, God. Yeah. Chris, Chris, listen. One of my formative experiences, and this is the last story that I'll tell. When I was maybe four, um, 
my dad and a bunch of his buddies on the forest had gone around and collect, this was just before the 4th of July, had collected a bunch of fireworks that were contraband and loaded up. My father also had a tree service company. And so he had a dump truck, this Dodge dump body with wooden sideboards. And it was all loaded with these paper bags full of uh, fireworks. And me and the Stephanie and Steven, the Deludes, uh, the, uh, the twins from next door and my brother were sitting on the back and we're like, you know, four, five, six years old. And my father handed me a sparkler and we had sparklers. Oh no. And the cops who were all of them, all of them probably pretty hammered and were out behind this BP oil station. Oh, that's worse. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of drama here, Joe. I'm having trouble <laughs> coping. My father, my father, I, I remember the Chekhov's gun on really this is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> My father hands me a, a sparkler, which which unnerves me <laughs> at the age I am, and I and I throw it over my shoulder into the the dump truck full yeah. of contraband. You're worse than Marion Pippin back there. Well, right. Ooh, all of a sudden, so yes, exactly. All of a sudden, this is the grand finale, much earlier than anyone had expected. <laughs> Please tell me the fireworks are pointed out of his and truck children, and into the cab. <laughs> The children, we jump out, we, we just ditch it and we jump out of this thing. And it was to this day, there are cops who are 70, 80 years old now that will see me in social situations and say, that remains the coolest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> and my, that, that truck had carbon scoring like the Millennium Falcon oh, yeah. inside of it. <laughs> That's water. Oh, anyway, did, guys, did the contraband fireworks get used to blow up mailboxes in your neighborhoods? Because I always had my mailbox blown up. Blowing up mailboxes was considered, for some reason, a deep a deep transgression against the social compact. So that was like that, yeah, was, that was a good balance. way to get the that was a good way to get the cops on you. I would get my mailbox blown up almost every year, like <laughs> around Halloween time. And I always knew the kid who did it, and he had this like just disgusting rust-colored mailbox on his property. And like every year, that thing went untouched. And mine, you know, my parents were shelling out money for new mailboxes every freaking year. So one year, toward the end of my, why didn't you do your duty? Well, that's that's okay. my story. Okay. So one year, <laughs> we get you know some contraband fireworks from the cops, but these were special. This came Wait, from somebody from in the, the cops. Squad, actually, nice. <laughs> they were um, they were like blockbusters, as we call them, or M100s. They were basically sticks of dynamite that were sawed into thirds and hot glue with green fuses in each end. And this guy had an entire garage full of them. So he gave me, which is probably the worst thing he could have done. He gave me an entire like King Cullen supermarket shopping bag filled with these things. And I kept them awesome. in an abandoned file cabinet in the corner of my garage, which was where my stash was, where my parents couldn't find anything because I, I had the key wow. to it. I was the only one who had the key to it. So I stuffed them in there and they're like, what are you going to do? And I'm like, I know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to go blow up Kevin Pfeiffer's mailbox. And so I went over there and this is like the king of all freaking M80s like that you've ever seen. Yeah. I threw it in. I closed it. I ran. I blew the thing up and I counted fully to 10 before I heard the metal hit the street. <laughs> I was the happiest kid because it was like the best mailbox yeah. payback anybody could have. And it, it was like years of pent up mailbox. That's badass. 
coming out all at once. It's so fantastic. That's, that's so fantastic. You know, yeah, you finally, you finally did your duty to your parents. Yeah, I did. I, you know, I, I got the payback. <laughs> I felt good about that. Outstanding, outstanding. Well, since we're graduating into legitimate like criminal enterprises, Chris, I'll give you one last chance to share a story. But then I think we need to call these proceedings to a close before we incriminate ourselves too poorly. There's this phenomenon that appears to be universal among American pre-adolescents and adolescents called woods porn. <laughs> and it was a part of my childhood. Part of mine too. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah they're universal on the show as well. My, my uh, well, you know, as it happened where I lived up, uh, when we moved into the house, our house had a, uh, a shed at the end of the driveway that, the previous occupants just didn't bother to empty. It had a lot of cool stuff in it, including, not to my parents' knowledge, a big-ass box of 60s Playboys. Big-ass box. That's it was a, a lot yeah, of It was a lot of boobies. And, uh, well, you know, it may be relatively popular in the neighborhood. <laughs> because that was a source. And, and uh, and, and and I was actually the source for for woods porn, uh, which I mean, yeah, there, there's a million different wasn't even the variation. <laughs> oh shed, no, no, it, no, porn. it went to the woods. That that was yeah. the point, you know. Uh, oh, we would okay. all right. Well, technically, we we'll, would uh, uh, wrap it up, wrap them up in uh, like aluminum foil or saran wrap, and uh, and you know secrete them, uh, you know, around the roots of various trees <laughs> out in the woods. <laughs> And, and it was like this neighborhood resource. He was, he was Chris Contraband Crenshaw. <laughs> the, the, the 10-year-old pornographer. You're a pornographer. Yeah, he had like, he had like a secret. Exactly. You are, you are. You're like, he had like secret hollow tunes on his huffy. He could roll like stuff like like there. Very, but I, I, was never, I wasn't benefiting from it. I wasn't, I wasn't like charging money or anything. I was just like, yeah, there's that stuff. It's all um, cred. No, no, like all cred. throughout my adolescence. Just every now and again, somebody would break into that shit and and take nobody knew what. Nobody was really sure what it got to, taken, except me. I knew. That's the 1967. Uh, you know, right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> on January you know, 68, it's going to happen. Blonde women, you know, <laughs> that's the Bardo yeah, exactly. 70. I know. Oh, yeah, wood porn, woods porn too. I mean, like, you couldn't get caught with that stuff in your house. Like my mom would have had an absolute right. freaking cow. Oh yeah, she found something like that under the bed yeah. or something. We stashed yeah. everything in the woods, yeah. man. There was. Yeah. Do you remember going out in the woods? You're just walking in the woods, and and you find the log, and there's like that burnt out campfire <laughs> yeah. where kids used to hang out, and you're like you're just kind of hanging out, and you find like a couple yeah. of pages of uh, weather beaten old penthouse, and you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> What am I looking? <laughs> what am I looking at right now? And like the sexual awakening that is like not supposed yeah, to happen that yeah. way. And, and yet, I mean, the, the fact that it so often does makes me wonder if it isn't supposed to happen that way. You know, <laughs> maybe maybe you're right. Maybe it is there are theories out there way. that there are basically people going out there as like a public service. Like I'm going to, you know, basically make sure the 
Yeah, yeah, yeah like, like, like a Johnny, Johnny Appleseed. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm going to go around. I'm going to geocache Pelosi. little stuff bits of porn across the forests yeah. of the world for all oh, where do you think I've learned Kittisi. how to waterproof a geocache, man? All the skips from Hiding Woods <laughs> porn. Can't back play. Oh, you're killing me. Some of our listeners who are younger than us by 10 or 15 years or more may not understand is that we didn't have access to right. internet. We didn't have access to some of the, you know, ubiquitous yeah. imagery. This, this is the case where we have to now. contextualize it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Before we wrap up, a final thought. A moral panic attaches itself to every social phenomenon involving children, and being a latchkey kid was no exception. By 1982 or so, there was a full-blown case of national hand-wringing over it, fueled in large part by nonstop national news coverage of a handful of, frankly, shocking child abduction and murder cases. Any free-range kid remembers seeing some missing child on the side of a milk carton and then catching a worried glimpse from their parents over it. But this went beyond just worry over life and limb. There was a barrage of coverage that shamed parents for leaving their kids at home, pointing out that surely this will result in kids with extraordinary mental, emotional, intellectual, and social problems. Surely this will turn to isolation, drugs use, just say no, sexual deviancy and crime. Surely this will be the reason why we lose the Cold War. Surely this is why women shouldn't be in the workplace, blah, blah, blah. And yet, as early as 1987, we saw stories from places like the L.A. Times that admitted, you know, whoops, now that we've actually, you know, talked to some kids, it looks like they're not being ruined by their free-range childhoods after all. And by the early 90s, when the constant barrage of stranger danger news and media had pretty much spelled an end to free-range childhood as we knew it, further studies showed that free-range kids were faring as well as kids who had parents at home when school ended. Now, if we fast forward about 25 years, those same kids who grew up on their own are now raising families. So it's not surprising that the sum total of latchkey childhood is being reexamined and relitigated in the court of public opinion. But And it's in this that the term free-range childhood actually was coined back in 2008 by an author who was kind of railing against the excessively scheduled and supervised childhoods of today. It begged the question, had the latchkey kids of yore grown up to become overly attached helicopter and snowplow parents? You know, that in its, in its own kind of created a backlash. And over the years, we've seen state legislators uh, actually pass laws that both protect and outlaw free-range childhood. So on behalf of Generation X, I can say we didn't mean to start a culture war. We just wanted to come home, eat a fruit roll-up, bang out our homework, go light some bottle rockets in the woods. Was that really so bad? Now, to be fair, my own free-range childhood was pretty good, but I can afford to be nostalgic about it because I survived. And the kids who got who got hurt or killed or vanished doing the same stuff I did, not so much. So I get it. Bad things happened. And however great your free-range experience was probably depended somewhat on the overall quality of your childhood itself. So I think that's the only major takeaway I can stick to with, with confidence on this one. That... And some wisdom from one of Generation X's finest accomplishments, the satirical paper The Onion, which wrote in 2011, quote, A study released by the California Parenting Institute Tuesday shows that while overprotective parenting ultimately produces adults unprepared to contend with life's difficulties, highly permissive parenting leads to feelings of bitterness and isolation throughout adulthood. Anything between those two extremes is equally damaging, always resulting in an adult who suffers from some debilitating combination of unpreparedness and isolation. 
Despite great variance in parenting styles across populations, the end product is always the same. A profoundly flawed and joyless human being who often achieves temporary happiness when they have children of their own to perpetuate the cycle of human misery. The Onion, folks. Nothing better. You'll see. <laughs> this has been Moments of Truth. On behalf of myself, Tom, Chris, and Joe, thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Moments of Truth is hosted by Bill Coffin, Chris Crenshaw, Tom Hespos, and Joe Pace. This podcast is edited by Derek Eisenhart. The Moments of Truth theme is a mashup of The Clermont by Flash Fluherty and a little help from a Texas Instruments Speak and Spell. For more Moments of Truth, be sure to subscribe to this show wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And for hundreds of additional write-ups of my favorite movies, please visit BillCoffin.com. There was a local pharmacy called Town Pharmacy, which suffered a crippling pornography shoplifting problem. <laughs> and they were knocking that place over all the time. I'm picturing it as the place where Randall and, and Dante work. But it was exactly, right? It, just, it, it was not that far off, right? It wasn't and clerks, it was jerks. It was jerks, right?